that's how we'll do it. We're going to start in Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3 today. We started last week talking about intimacy. The fact that we are born into a broken world, right? Everything gets broken in the fall. Our relationship with God is broken. Our relationship to each other is broken. The first thing that happens in Genesis 3 is they blame each other, right? Their relationship to each other is broken. Our relationship within ourselves is broken, right? There is disunity. Your worst arguments happen in here, right? There's a fracturing. And our relationship to nature is broken. Sickness and death enter the world through sin. All of creation's groaning for its day of redemption. Everything is broken in the fall. Everything. And so we are born into quite a bit of isolation, separated from relationship with God, separated from relationship with each other. Um, people tend to think they're the only ones that feel it, but every single person feels really alone sometimes, right? And some people more than others, but all of us feel that sense of isolation because of the brokenness of the fall. But we were made for intimacy, which we talked about last week. Out of the love, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, out of the overflow of their love, we are made. We are made in their image. We are loved. Just like you love things you make in your image, my children, right? We're loved, but we have a dearth of intimacy. And in our culture, we have even less intimacy because we live in a pretty isolated culture, which you won't go through all that again, but even touch is very limited. You know, we're very afraid even to touch too much. And we talked more about that last week, but we're made for intimacy. Um, one of the most powerful ways that human beings experience intimacy is through sex. It certainly isn't the only way. And that's unfortunate because I think for a lot of people, it's the only way they know to experience some kind of feeling of intimacy. But there's far more ways to foster intimacy than sex, and we need to learn those things because you need to have like spiritual moms and dads and brothers and sisters and spiritual sons and daughters, and if you can't foster intimacy outside of sex, you don't know how to have those relationships without them becoming, right, messed up. So in the church, we have all these rules about how far away you stay from me so that everyone knows that I'm pure and holy because we don't know how to have intimacy. We don't know how to foster true connection. But sex is a very powerful way and a way that a lot of people, it's the only thing they have, and it's very corrupted in our culture. And our culture isn't the first culture to have it corrupted. That's, it's been that way uh, from the beginning. One of the first things that Adam and Eve say after they sin against God is, oh my goodness, we're naked. Let's find some way to cover up, right? Immediately there's this carnal knowledge. Something that was pure now becomes really messed up. And so we want to talk through this week and next week some of the ways that um, our culture has taken intimacy and specifically sex and has really perverted it and, and changed it from the design that God made for it. We talked a lot last week about design. Our podcasts are up on iTunes, so if you want to catch up, you can, because um, we can't go back and do all of that. But we talked a lot about design, and you can't mess with design. God is a designer. You mess with the design, you have compounded problems when you begin to mess with design. So we're going to start in Lamentations 3, which may seem like a non sequitur, but, but we'll get there. Lamentations 3, starting in verse 19. This is Jeremiah, the prophet, who's writing. This is Old Testament. So if you're new to the faith, the Old Testament's before Christ came and died and rose again. And so they're prophesying about this Messiah uh, who was to come in the Old Testament. But specifically, Jeremiah had been prophesying to the nation of Israel, God's people. And he had been saying, you've got to turn back to God. This place is a mess. The things you do 
the evils you, you um, push onto each other, this is a mess. You've got to repent. You've got to turn back to God. And in the end, they didn't do it. You read the book of Jeremiah. Um, he's like the wailing prophet, right? And no one's listening. And then he writes uh, Lamentations. And these are, these, these are his laments. Now Israel has fallen. He's watching all these people go into captivity, in slavery. Um, he, everything feels like it's lost. But then you hit Lamentations chapter 3. And he has a revelation of God again. And the goodness of God. How many of you know, no matter how deep the pit, it doesn't matter how bad the circumstances seem, man, once you invite God and his presence begins to fill that pit, you feel like anything is possible right? There's a peace that passes understanding. So Lamentations 3 is his turnaround. Um, Lamentations 3.19, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, right? Life is awful. Everything seems lost, but this I call to mind. And I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. So good. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him offer his cheek to the one who would strike him, and let him be filled with disgrace, for no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love, for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Great is your faithfulness. And when you're in the deepest pit, this you need to call to mind, (laughs) right? Okay, I want to start here, and we're going to end here today, and here's why. Some of the things we're talking about, you can begin to feel hopeless, like, mm, we're on a, we're sliding. Let's just all hang on and try to stay saved until heaven. And that's where a lot of Christians are camped out right now. Listen, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Great is his faithfulness. When you call out to him, you will find him. If we find there's a delusion over our land, guess what? We don't need to blame Hollywood and people that don't know Jesus. Look to the church. Because if we begin to cry out, we repent of our sins, we turn to God, guess what happens? He heals the land. So we shouldn't feel hopeless. Uh We'll come back to that. So here's the deal. On this subject of intimacy, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to be counterculture. That's how it's going to have to be. And you're going to have to resign yourself to it. Our culture at large, and I don't mean the majority of people, I mean the culture at large, the people with the biggest megaphones in our culture. 
people who own the media, people who have all the megaphones in our culture, for the most part, um, they have decided they're on this road to destruction, right? And they're calling everyone to it. And it can make it seem like you're very alone. But I just want to point this out. Even in um, states that tend to be very liberal, and these words are loaded, so let me say this. Um, I'm going to use the term secular progressive today a lot. And what I'm talking about is not so much political things. I'm talking about people that see God totally removed from any ideas of morality, and they feel like they have a vision for the future that we, this is, this is progress. This is where human beings are naturally evolving to. And they've taken God out of that equation, and so they kind of feel like it's a foregone conclusion because this is what progress looks like. Are you with me? So it can feel like you're very alone, but even in states that maybe seem like very secular progressive like California, when they put things like gay marriage on the ballot, it gets defeated. It got defeated soundly when it was on the ballot. It only got overturned by the Supreme Court, nine people making that decision, which should tell you something. We're told this is a foregone conclusion, but even in states like California, it wasn't a foregone conclusion. Right? We're not alone. We're being bullied right now. <laughs> but I think there's more people that are ready to hear truth than we think. Even people who aren't believers. And I don't just mean hear truth to be convinced on an issue. I mean we want people to hear truth because it reveals the glory of God. Right? We have no need to be right in anyone's eyes. We just want to see his glory revealed. Right? Okay. So if you're going to follow Jesus, though, you're going to be countercultural. You're going to have to be countercultural. For those of you, my millennial friends, my wife friends, right? For, um, for those of you who are, are younger, say in your 20s, mid-30s, teens, the pressure on you with these sexual issues is extreme. The pressure to conform, it can make you feel like the entire world agrees. I'm here to tell you right now. There's a delusion, and the Holy Spirit can blow away that delusion in a moment. If we can remember who we are, okay, <clears throat> you're going to be radical if you're going to follow Jesus in these issues. And I just want to really quickly, before we go back to Scripture in Romans 1, I just want to debunk a couple things. Number one, um, when it comes to... Um, maybe 35 and younger, let's say, there is this pressure to have homogenous thought. So there is kind of a lie that, hey, we're free thinkers and everyone should just do what they want and think what they want. But really, in a lot of ways, these are the most homogenous generations we've ever produced in terms of thought. There isn't a lot of freedom for critical thought if your opinion does not fit with secular progressivism. On campuses, I mean, almost monthly, you're hearing stories about people that don't speak the message of secular progressivism. They can't even be on a college campus because college campus should be a safe space where you don't have to think about things that will trigger you, where people disagree with you. Think about that for a minute. College used to be like this free market of ideas where you contemplated everything. There is an enormous amount of control to have whole generations think in one way about moral issues. Why is there no freedom of thought? So I think for, for some people they feel like, oh, this is freedom, but it really feels like freedom because they're casting off restraint.
But there's actually no freedom unless you're going in one direction. That's actually pretty important to think about. The other thing to think about is that the way that we think about science um, in a lot of ways is an illusion, right? So for a lot of people, they feel like, well, it's, this is science. That means that people didn't have any preconceived ideas coming into it. <laughs> they just did like empirical analysis and we have this conclusion. Let me just tell you, that's not what science looks like right now. I mean, for some scientists, right? But for a lot of these social issues we're talking about, people will say, well, like, scientists tell us. And I'm like, I want you to name the scientists, and I want you to name right, the actual peer-reviewed science behind that. Because I think they throw out the word science, and it feels like, oh, that's irrefutable. Scientists agree. Typically, when, they, when we're talking about social issues, they're talking about social scientists, now, some of you are in sociology right now. You're studying, who's, you've got sociology degrees in the room. I know we've got a couple, right? Okay, here's the deal with social science. It's not really science. <laughs> it's social theory. I'm just, let's just, I'm not saying there's no science anywhere. I'm just saying for the most part, it's social theory. Um, just to illustrate the point, um, in the past year, <laughs> there have been quite a few people exposing how these things that are like supposedly scientifically proven from social science are not proven at all. So people have begun publishing fake papers, like putting forward fake, fake studies, fake papers, and they're being published in peer-reviewed scientific journals. And they're totally fake. So this is just one from The Economist. Um, it goes through a bunch of papers that were submitted, and they're, they're published. And so this is peer-reviewed science that you can take to the bank. Um, one of the papers had to do with, I don't think it's on there. Oh, yeah. One of the papers that was submitted had to do with how um, dog parks promote rape culture. <laughs> no, and it got published as science. Dog parks promote rape culture because the dogs find each other, I, I don't know. Yeah, there were other papers that were submitted where they took very long children's rhymes and just replaced a few words. It got published in peer-reviewed scientific journals. Come on now. So I saw someone debating a couple weeks ago, I saw a video of it, and it was um, someone who was a grad student, <clears throat> and they were debating someone who doesn't believe there are 100 genders. Um, the one person believed there are two genders based on chromosomes, which is science. XX and XY, that's actual science. Biology is science, right? So that's actual science. But the person they were debating is a uh, um, social science major, and they were saying, I can't even talk to you because you don't understand what biologists say. And they were like, actually, I am a biologist, and I understand chromosomes. And they were like, well, I can't even talk to you. Like, I've read the papers, right? There's this sense of, like, I have science behind me to say there are 100 genders, when actual science would say that is ridiculous, gender is based on chromosomes and you can't change your chromosomes. But do you see how there are people who don't understand everything behind it and they're kind of bullied into thinking, well, if this is what science is saying, well, that contradicts the Bible and maybe we've gotten it wrong the whole time. When what's masquerading as science isn't science at all. In fact, sometimes it's children's rhymes. Evidently. Are, are you with me? So I'm just saying, when it comes to these social issues, science backs up scripture. We are not opposed to science. Truth, all truth is God's truth. When he says, I created, um, I created um, man, both male and female, these are how I created them, science backs that up. 
Okay. I wish I could go through more papers because they were hilarious, but I'm not going to. You can look it up in The Economist. You cannot mess with design. God made male and female. God made us the way we should be. Now, everyone gets broken in the fall. Every single person in this room, because of the fall of man, is broken sexually. Whether that's you lust after someone, or you have the temptation to lust after someone you're not married to, or it's same sex, or whatever it is, every single person got broken in the fall. So we're not saying like, hey, there's just these groups of broken people. Hey, we all got broken in the fall. But we're not going to run after our brokenness. We're going to run after wholeness in Christ. Right? Okay. But you can't mess with design. So we're running after wholeness. We're running after his design. So if I have a temptation to lust after someone I'm not married to, I'm going to tell myself what to do. I'm going to preach the gospel to myself. I'm a new creation. I am not going to run after broken ways. You can't mess with design. When design is destroyed, you remove purpose. And when you remove purpose, you have wandering people who are deeply, deeply, deeply discouraged and depressed and have no direction. That's a recipe for disaster. Ultimately, there's going to be devastation when you leave design. You cannot mess with design and expect to get a greater result. This is crucial because one of the lies in our culture is, well, if it makes people happy, then isn't it kind just to... And I would say to you, it's never our job to control people. God gives people free will. Cain wants to kill Abel. God comes to him and says, listen, sin is crouching at your door. It wants to consume you. Right? You need to overcome it, and Cain doesn't. So what I'm talking about today is not take away anyone's free will, but we shouldn't believe that somehow not going toward God's design will make someone happier. That's a lie. And sin is pleasurable for a season, but on the back end, it's going to consume you. Right? And that's the truth of it. <clears throat> okay. So my goal, thanks, I don't know, I get this, you know, you get that thing in your throat and you're like, oh no. Oh. So my goal, last week, this week, next week, is that we know the Father's design for our life and that it's good. Two, we'd have an understanding theologically of why God says what he says about human sexuality. And three, there'd be freedom and deliverance in the house. Freedom and deliverance in the house. Yeah? It's a moment where God is saying, hey, you're going to come further and further in, and sexual sin's got to get dealt with. You've got to deal with it. Romans 1. <clears throat> Starting in verse 16. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. That's our starting point for this discussion. We're not ashamed of the gospel. We're not embarrassed by what God has said. We are not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to salvation. So for even those who'd be angry at us for believing what we believe, we keep our love on toward them, because it is the power of, of God to bring salvation to them. We're not, they're not our adversaries. Right? People that disagree with us are not adversaries. The gospel is the power of God to salvation, and that's why we keep proclaiming it. 
um, for everyone who believes, first to the Jew and the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that, by, that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth in their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine attributes have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So what is he saying? Listen, you can look in nature, and even if you never heard the gospel, you could be like, I can see his character in nature. I can see God's design just by looking out at the world. Right? The more we pervert design, things like marriage, which not everyone needs to get married. Paul says, hey, if you're called to singleness, awesome. You can do incredible work with your life. But things like marriage, and that's for your life, when you do it God's way, it reveals his glory. It's his design. It reveals his glory. When you pervert design, his glory becomes obscured. Therefore, God gave them over. Those who rejected this didn't thank him, didn't acknowledge him. God gave them over to sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so they do not do what they ought to do, or they, they, ought not, well, they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents, which... Um, think about where our culture's at. People before us don't know anything. Generations before us, they're just so, right? We're just going to jettison everything that came before us because we are so enlightened. Isn't that very much a part of our culture now? Um, disobey their parents like they, the previous generation, so dumb. <clears throat> Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also prove of those who practice them. So Romans isn't unclear, right? It's not like, hey, we really don't know what the Bible says about these things. Leviticus is so old, right? Um, the Bible's pretty clear. And if you are thinking, if you're Paul and you want to communicate um, about sexual immorality, whether it's homosexuality or whatever, if you want to communicate it's wrong, you actually couldn't have been clearer. You couldn't have been clearer. So I think there's an argument out there that says, well, I don't know, the New Testament, I don't think the Bible really, Jesus never talked about it because nobody was doing that. Right? There's a lot of things Jesus didn't talk about. Jesus didn't talk about um, um, molesting small children. It was already understood in the company he was talking to. That's a bad thing. You know what I'm saying? There are some things I don't preach much on because it's not an issue. Right? But Jesus reaffirms. Jesus says, God, 
God made woman and man for marriage. Like he affirms what God says about design. First Timothy 1, 8 through 11. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels and ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. And then 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So think about that. <clears throat> He's not saying, oh, these terrible people, these untouchables. He's like, hey, this was you. This was you. These are the things that you did, remember? But you've been cleansed. You've been made holy. You get to now experience God's glory, which is what God wants for everybody. Right? We're not calling to people out of this place of like, hey, I'm so awesome and have always been so awesome. We're like, we know what it's like to be lost. We know what it's like to be without design and the purpose God made us for. Now, people may not want to follow you to that place, but it certainly isn't kindness to pretend like that place doesn't exist. That place where the glory of God meets you and your life is full of purpose. It's not kindness, right? Leviticus 20.13. If a man has sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman, both of them have done what is detestable. The language there is like abomination. So people often point back to Leviticus and say, this is terrible, it's archaic. What is Leviticus telling us? Leviticus 20.13. That to do that is an abomination. Um, it's not saying abomination like, oh, you're the untouchable. What's an abomination? <clears throat> it literally means something that's so far away from what it was designed to be, it no longer even bears a resemblance. That's what abomination means, right? Something was made to be this, and so many iterations have happened, it's over here, and you can't even tell anymore what design was. So when you're living out this way, the glory of God is being obscured, right? Because our, our love was meant to reflect his glory and illuminate his glory, and his character. When we do it outside of his design, it becomes obscured. This is really important. So if you think about abomination, I've used this example before. I don't have pictures for you today. But if you think about, <clears throat> how many of you are good at Pinterest? How many of you are awesome? I know you two are. Three of you. How many of you have seen the nailed it, Pinterest nailed it pictures? Someone tried the Pinterest thing, and it's like, yeah. They were making a minion birthday cake for their child, and they end up like a goblin in a puddle, and a, right? That's an abomination. It's so far from what the design was. You wouldn't, right, you don't even know. And what God is saying is, when you operate sexual outside of my design, it gets so far that it can't even reflect my glory. And the confusion becomes even greater. 
right? <clears throat> okay, now let me just say, you can choose to say, I reject that. I reject the Bible. I'm not going to believe it. God gives you that freedom. You don't have to believe it. But if you're going to follow Jesus, this is the baseline, his word. So at least in your heart, be honest about it. I have chosen not to follow Jesus. Because lordship is where salvation comes. I believe and now I confess you are Lord, your way, not my way. Right? So I'm going to follow Jesus. His word establishes what that looks like. Yeah? You're good? Not really? Okay. <clears throat> so next week we're going to deal with covenant and marriage and sex with the marriage and sex outside of marriage and, and the good in doing it God's way and the damage in not doing it God's way. Today, there's a couple things in the time we have left. I just want to hit, with everything in mind I've just read, I want to hit on issues of homosexuality and transgender issues. Um, <clears throat> so when it comes to homosexuality, clearly God has laid out, this is not, you can't operate in this way and be a Christ follower. It's not possible. Um, but I want to say this to you. If you don't know Jesus, if someone doesn't know Jesus, they are living in this fallen world where everything's broken. And if I didn't know Jesus, I'd be looking for love in all the wrong places too. Right? I have a lot of friends in the LGBTQ community. Um, my husband's kind of amazed. Um, and a lot of times, um, through several ways, I did theater early on in life, which that's a whole thing. Um, and I have a lot of friendships from that. Um, but also, people, when they want to talk about spiritual issues in the LGBTQ community, they don't want to talk to a male pastor. They want to talk to a woman. And so they'll just keep calling until they find one. And so for a lot of people, they just call through the phone book until they could find a woman pastor. And then I end up having relationships with people that way. But I'm telling you, the stories are so similar, especially for women who um, are lesbians, men who are gay. The stories are different between lesbians and gay men. But for gay men especially, I mean, story after story after story, after story after story, um, it's just tragic. You know, they'll go through how these things began. A lot of times they're sensitive guys. You know, they're guys who are more creative and sensitive. And so early on they're getting teased, Right? People are telling them, you're gay, you're gay, you're gay, you're gay. Um, even though they've had, they haven't even entered puberty, they have no inclination toward that. But that lie starts to get lodged, right? It starts to become identity, which our culture wants your sex to be your identity, which is ridiculous. That's not your identity, right? Um, for anybody, heterosexual is not my identity, right? Um, but that lie starts to get lodged, and then there will be things that the enemy, man, he kicks people when they're down. You know what I'm saying? Over and over again, they'll have some story about when they were eight, when they were nine. They already had some lies lodged in there from different reasons. Um, and then they'll have something happen. Um, an older man will molest them. Or, I mean, the stories are just so similar. I'm not saying everyone's story is that, but I'm saying so many are similar. And so then they'll have this compound it. Um, I know in one case I was listening to a guy's testimony this past week who is part of the leadership of Equipped to Love, which if you're interested in pursuing um, looking into um, homosexual relationships and God and what he says, Equipped to Love is a great organization you can look into. Um, but I was watching one of their videos. The guy was giving a testimony. I just thought, I've heard this testimony so many times. Um, he was molested around eight or nine. He already had some questions there because of things people had said. 
Um, he had no attraction to men. <laughs> he hadn't even hit puberty. Um, and then around that same time he was molested, his friends were out playing in a field. They dug up this trunk. There was like a bit of a trunk sticking up out of the ground. They dug it up. And in this trunk is all kinds of hardcore gay porn. Um, they were like nine or 10. And he said like the images disgusted me. And yet we're curious people by nature. Right? And kids are curious. So he's like, it wasn't that I was attracted to it, but you are curious, you know? And so you look more and more in it. But he said, I didn't feel like an attraction to it. But it was one more bullet point that said, look, you saw those images. You must, you know what I'm saying? It was one more thing that established the lie in his heart. And he said, I hit puberty. He said, I wasn't attracted to men. But I still thought I was gay because of so many things and people would say to me, and he said, so when our relationship presented itself, I was lonely. You know, his home wasn't great. He was lonely. He was alone. And so he was like, yes, I want relationship. And clearly I'm not going to have it with a woman because I'm gay, which is what I'm just saying so often, so often identities get established so early. It has nothing to do with sexual attraction, nothing to do with it. But once, and so once he decided to go on that path, he became very militant, very angry at anybody who would try to say anything different to him until later in life, right? Until he was about, hit about 30. And then finally, his life was pretty much in ruins for several reasons. And he was willing to think about God again. And so people who'd reached out to him in love, even though he was harsh and rejected them, their words would come back to him. This is not who you are. This is not who you are. Right? And so these words would come back to him. And so he ended up calling out to Jesus and he ended up getting saved. Um, but just so often, I hear these stories when I talk to women who are, um, especially I've got some really hardcore, like, lesbian feminist friends. They're, I let my husband read some of the stuff they write. They are so hardcore. Oh, my word. I mean, just, you know, sometimes this stuff is so outrageous. I kind of laugh a little bit because it's so outrageous, but it's not funny. It's coming out of so much pain and hurt right? And when you get down to the stories, there's so many stories about men in their lives that are so, we have the capacity to do so much evil to each other when we don't live submitted to Jesus. We just do. And so under, under all these stories is a lot of pain, a lot of pain. And now we have a generation growing up where it's like, hey, just choose what you want to choose. And so those stories are looking very different now, but I'm telling you, there is so much of, one thing I'm seeing now in younger people is um, young men who are sensitive, who are also very, very, very intelligent, they seem to find a home in the LGBT community because they already feel kind of like outcasts, there's nowhere to fit, I can fit here. Listen, we're going to have to carry the love of Jesus like never before because there is such a delusion and we're going to have to live in truth. There are things none of your words are going to be able to penetrate, but you hosting the presence of God well in your life and you carrying it, you carry the presence of God and all of a sudden you're with someone in confusion and their confusion begins to clear just because his presence is clearing it. But there's a great delusion when it comes to these things. I wish I could go further into this. We just don't have time today. I can talk further with anyone who wants to talk. Um, but clearly that's, that's an area where sexuality has been twisted and turned. And we are promoting it now among the young generations, promoting it. Not just saying, hey, everyone do what they want to do. We are promoting it. Um, 
Okay, let's get just quickly transgender issues. Genesis 1, 26 through 27. I'm sorry, these are it's not small issues. I don't, I'm not trying to trivialize them at all. We just don't have a lot of time. Genesis 1, 26 through 27. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. You've got XX chromosomes or XY chromosomes, and that makes you male or female. Feelings are not fact. There is um, a very, very, very small, like 0.02% of the population that struggles with body dysphoria. And this can take on many, many, many um, shades. One of the shades it takes on is people that feel like they were born to be a one-legged person and they shouldn't have two legs. And they would like doctors to cut off the other leg so that they can live in the body they feel like should be their body. Some people feel like they shouldn't have fingers. I mean, it's, this body dysphoria can take on lots of shades, but one of the shades it can take on is, I feel like I'm a male trapped in a woman's body or a woman trapped in a man's body. It's all the same body dysphoria. For everything except for gender, we say, we're not going to cut off your leg. We are not going to cut off your fingers. We want to help you resolve the mental disconnect you have with what's physically true. In the past 10 years, again, not because any biologist has said this is a good idea. Like, it's not, it's, not, it's not a scientific push, an actual scientific push, but there's been a social scientific push to say we're going to separate out the body dysphoria that has to do with being male or female with all the other body dysphoria. And we are going to start helping people become the thing that in their mind they think they should be. Even though physically there's no indication they should be that thing. Because biology is biology. Right? And so we're to the point now where we have prepubescent um, kids, 12, starting to take hormone blockers. Which have a devastating effect on your physical body over a long period of time. Um... We are now performing mastectomies on young girls as young as 14 who say, I think I'm supposed to be a man. What do you, 14, do you remember 14? Some of you are 14. <laughs> you have no idea what 20 is going to look like or how you're going to feel about life. We're performing mastectomies. That's a done deal. How does this make any sense, scientifically even? It makes no sense. But here's the thing, here's the hook. People are miserable and they're unhappy. And so if we would all just accept this, everybody will be happy then. And that's the lie. Well, I don't want anyone to be suicidal or unhappy, so I better accept it. That's literally, the con that's the convincing lie people are buying into. Here's the deal. Post-operative transgender people have a 40% suicide rate. 40% trans like after surgery, post-operative, so you got everything you thought you wanted. And these in the areas where the suicide rate is highest is in Northern European countries where it's most accepted. So it has nothing to do with like somebody was mean to you so you became suicidal. Come on, here was this holy grail and now we've all said, yeah, let's cheer for you. Let's not get you any kind of mental help. Let's just cheer for you and do mastectomies and you finally get everything you want and guess what? It's worse than before. 
The suicide rate in the population in general is 3%. 40% suicide rate. Do you think maybe we should study this with actual science? Before we start giving preteens hormone blockers? Before we start parading kids around on TV? And morning shows, like, they're parading kids around, like, oh, affirming, like, you, you are who you want to be, and we all we want to affirm this. There's a short video I want to show you. This was on Good Morning America, 9.30 a.m. The Amazing Desmond. This is what they did. Good morning, America, celebrating. Guess what? What you feed grows and what you starve dies. So this is an 11-year-old boy who he also performs drag shows in gay bars where they put dollar bills into his little dresses. So again, these lies that hook us in, like so one of the lies that hooked us in 10 years ago was, hey, we're just talking about consenting adults. Consenting adults to do what they want. This is an 11-year-old kid whose mom is making him dresses. Come on. I know way too much about that mom, and I've never met her. You know what I'm saying? Like, something's really, really wrong. Take him to gay bars. Now, so Desmond the Amazing, 11, now we've got to beat that. So now there's a 9-year-old named Lucretia who's getting all this fame. Let me tell you, there are people who want fame. There are kids who see they get attention. Do you know what I'm saying? We are promoting this. Kids who have never gotten even cooked into this were showing this on like national television and celebrating it. There's a kid named Lucretia. <clears throat> His uh, mom had him do a photo shoot for a gay magazine um, and he did it with another drag, a male drag queen who's an adult. The male drag queen was completely naked. I blocked it out and I didn't do the full picture how is that even legal? How did that photo, sh you have a young boy who's being exposed to a man who's completely naked. And this is being celebrated by our media. Come on, once you decide to jettison design, it does not end, right? The craving, and Romans told us, more, they need to do more and more. You gotta go further and further down this road because you're never satisfied. This is heartbreaking. <clears throat> when it comes to the gender, transgender community, and there's uh, some folks in our lives, one person in particular who I've stayed um, in touch with for 20 years now, they found me because they were looking for a, a woman pastor. They didn't want to talk to a guy um, just because of their own issues they had. And they were post-operative transgender. And um, we talked through what Romans 10.9 would look like for their life. 
to believe Jesus and to confess him as Lord. And in the end, they decided, I want to make Jesus Lord. And so they decided to live a celibate life. But they had been born a man, had been through all the surgeries, were now presenting as a female, and no doctors would walk them off the hormones and the pills they take, which if they were to stop cold turkey, they would have a heart attack. They're that strong what they're pumping in this person's body. And so now what he's dealing with is... Um, I went to a church before my surgery because I was seeking. I was mentally disturbed and I was seeking and I was seeking God. But he went to a church that affirmed him and encouraged him to have the surgeries. So now he's dealing with why didn't these people at least just tell me what the Bible said? I may not have listened to them, but maybe I would have. At this point, um, I can never have a family, right? He's post-operative. He feels like he's ruined his life. Um, and he's walked out for these past 20 years. We've known him. He's had to walk out this life where he's like in this middle ground. And I don't, I know there's younger people in the audience, but I just want to be really clear because there's so much that our culture that's pushing this never tells us. So for this man, for the past, he's had the surgery 22 years ago. For the past 22 years, how many of you know you can't make a man into a woman? You can't do that. It's not a possibility. You can't make a woman into a man. It's not. It's not. You can't, no surgery can do that. You can do things to approximate and get close. So for him, this is what his life looks like. And I don't want to get too gruesome, but I do want it to be really clear how gruesome this is and make us wonder, why are we pushing this? What is the agenda behind this? So this is what his life looks like. Number one, I won't go into all the surgery they do to try to approximate a woman, but every single day of his life, he has to, for an hour, he has to do a dilation exercise because he basically has a wound in his body that his body wants to heal. And the doctors call it a vagina. <laughs> but it's not. It's a wound. And so even though he's sad, he did the surgery, he's, he can't, you know what I'm saying? He's stuck. He feels totally stuck in this life. It's gruesome what we're doing to people, and we are celebrating it without ever telling young people that we're convincing of these things what it actually is. There was an article in the New York Times. Um, um, this woman wrote, um, Andrea Chu, she finally was being honest about it at least. She's saying um, she's about to have the surgery. She says, my new vagina won't make me happy, but it shouldn't have to. And she goes through all the gruesome stuff she'll have to go to to become a man in appearance um, or between a woman in appearance. And then she says, I know it will make me happy. I know I'll probably even be more depressed because the work I'll have to go into daily to keep up this routine of being a woman, um, the dilation, all that kind of stuff they have to do. Um, but she's like, but I deserve it. And so it needs to be funded. Like, the gov like it needs to be part of insurance packages and you need to fund this. So there's not even a pretense anymore that going all the way with this stuff even brings down the suicide rate or even helps the depression. So just from, even if you weren't a Christian, if you weren't a Christian, just from a logical point of view, why wouldn't anyone step back and say, maybe we should try mental health help? If we've gone as far as we can in pretending this is true and it still doesn't help, why aren't we as scientists, our scientific culture, why aren't we saying, you know what, this maybe is a mental health issue, and maybe we should have gotten these people some help.
But we're not doing that. We're going the opposite direction. In California, it is now illegal to counsel someone in the opposite direction of going transgender. It's illegal. If your kid has confusion, you can't take them to someone who will help them sort through the confusion and maybe land in a place where what they feel matches their body. It's illegal. Let that sink in. So again, I just want to say there is this sense that maybe Christians or conservative culture is trying to push their values on other people. We're not. If someone's going to dress up like something, I don't care. I'm not going to control you. But who's being controlling here, right? We're not the ones who are controlling. We're not the ones who are pushing in school curriculums 100 genders. We're not the ones doing that. They're the ones indoctrinating. So do you know what I'm saying? There is, it's like there's lies stacked on lies and then almost like a gaslighting happening, right? Because none of us are like ripping dresses off of guys. None of us are doing that. And I'm not saying that to create sides. What I'm saying is we have to understand the times we live in and not be bullied into abandoning what God says because the things that are being said in our culture, they're not even true. There's no truth under it. Do you have the Cary Grant picture? <laughs> One thing we should also ask ourselves, are we heading in the direction of progress? Because we're told this is progress and enlightenment. I don't think, I don't think our views of sexuality are actually progressive. I think they're incredibly regressive. And if progress is creating um, a society that runs well and where people are healthy, and right, if progress is people are cared for well, I don't think we're heading in that direction. The idea that people want to jettison the idea of family and marriage this isn't progress. This is regress. Look at the Middle Ages before, you know, when marriage was becoming, the church was really beginning to ingrain the idea of marriage and culture. Before that was happening, you have incredible amounts of poverty just from not having family units together. Well, look where we're headed with family units. Is it creating progress for us? And I'm just saying that to point out there is a lie. Don't Believe it. Hold on to truth. And I, I hate to even go here, but one more, one last thing. This idea of we're just about consenting adults, we've already seen with the kids, this is not true. I think they'll say anything to try to get reasonable people to think, well, yeah, why wouldn't I? This is what's coming now. Dolphin Dude, this was, um, Huffington Post published this article non-ironically. <laughs> it was supportive this is a biologist who says he engages in sexual relations with a dolphin. At no point did Huffington Post say, hey, this is psycho, like this is nuts. And he made a big point in this article to say it was consensual. And being a biologist, he understands like, you know, being a, he understood the signs. Listen, there's always crazy people, right, willing to do this is Huffington Post that proposes to be like mainstream culture embracing this. Where are you getting your information? Right? Every single time there's something to get good people to accept something, 
that pretext, whether it's to be kind or consenting adults, it will get jettisoned the minute it can to go further in the direction of depravity. That's the Romans 1 spiral. Okay, let's get, I don't even want to look at that dude. Okay, I, God loves him. I want to be saved, but I cannot even. It's crazy. So here's where we're at in terms of our culture. The government can prohibit things. It can do three things, right? It can prohibit things. It can allow things. It can promote things. I think as Christians, it shouldn't be our goal to control people. I'm not trying to control what people do. And I get that people will find love in all the wrong places when you don't know Jesus. Right? You're just looking for love. You're looking for, you want to be isolated. So it's not my goal to prohibit things from people. But our government and our culture, our media culture in particular, has moved way past the idea of allowing to absolutely promoting. And at that point, you've got to speak up. Right? It's easy to be silent because the pressures are huge, but at that point, you've got to speak up. One of the things that happens in Romans chapter 1 at the end is there isn't, that God takes issue with those that condone what happens. So from a cultural standpoint, that's where that's at. I want to talk about from a personal standpoint in this room why we should care about people that we know and we love who are really trapped in this spiral. One reason not to care, one, one reason we should not use to care is to be right. You're going to have to, if you're going to have a voice in this issue, you have to jettison every need to be seen as right. Because it's not about being right. Right? You just got to jettison that. If it becomes an argument, an adversarial argument, right, me against you, we've already lost because that's not what God's doing. Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. So reasons we should care, reasons we should have the conversations. If you're in this room today and there's been issues in your life and you want to be free, maybe it's just free of guilt and shame because you've walked away from behaviors, but you can be free in this room. And here's why we care, because we want to see God's glory fully radiant in your life and not obscured. When we walk away from design, his glory is obscured, and we want to see his glory cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. When you see his glory, when you experience his presence, whether you're saved or unsaved, it changes everything. It changes everything. And so we want people to see God's glory and not to live in ways where it's obscured in confusion. The second thing is, he is holy. <laughs> he is holy God is holy. He is righteous. What makes something holy? The presence of God. If you look through scripture, the things that were in the temple were holy. Why? Because they were in the presence of God. The presence of God makes something holy. If I want God's presence in my life, I'm going to live holy. I want to live toward his holiness because I want to be where his presence is. And he is holy. He says, be holy as I am holy. So when he shows us things in our lives that are apart from his design, when he shows us things in our lives that are sinful, it's not like, I better keep the rule. That's not my motivation. I want to be in your presence. And you have shown me where your presence is going to be. I can't live out here where you've said, this is not my design. This is actually an abomination to me. I can't live in this and also live in this. Your presence. Right? And so our desire to be holy is not to be right. We want to be where he is. I want his presence in my life. And the third thing is, you're designed by him. Design gives purpose. When you abandon design, you abandon purpose. 
God has a purpose for your life, and I want to see it fully fulfilled in you. I want you to see it fully fulfilled in me, which means his way and not my way, his way and not my way. That's the way to fulfill his design. Um, We're going to have a time of response and worship. There's folks who can pray with you. They're going to be here and here and there and back as well. I also want to point out four people. If you feel like you can't respond today, but you want to respond, there are four people I just want to point out who you could talk to anytime, who've actually prepared themselves to talk about just moving away from issues that create bondage to life. Um, so let me find where they're at. Ken, Ken, where are you? Ken, Ken's here. Becky, could you stand up? Becky's here. Shanna, where are you at? Shanna's back there. And then Ben, Papa Ben, where are you? There's Ben. Now, there's lots of people you could talk to in the room, but these four, if you're like, I don't know what people will think of me if I tell them my worst fear or secret, these people are going to love you all the way to freedom. I promise you. I promise you. So I just want to point them out. You guys can sit. Thank you. I just want to point them out just so if any time, and there's a lot of people in the room I could have pointed out, but I wanted to point them out so if at some point, today or some other day, you're like, I'm ready to deal with, with this thing, whatever the thing is, you know there's some safe people you could talk to who are going to root for you all the way. You are not the worst thing you've done. <laughs> that is not your identity. You are not the worst thing you've thought. You know, sometimes we have thoughts because of things that come at us. Sometimes how many of the enemy will put thoughts in your head and you'll be like, oh my goodness, maybe that's who. No, rebuke that thing. You are not the worst thought you've had. Today in this house, there needs to be freedom. For some of you, there are things that have come to your mind. Maybe you thought, maybe I am gay, maybe I am this. There's just things that have swirled because our culture puts so much in the mix. I just want to tell you today, you need to have freedom. If you've chosen to follow Jesus, you've chosen a road where there is no guilt and shame as you follow him. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you've thought. You need to lay that before him and walk in freedom. The enemy has no right to terrorize you with fear of what could have been or could be, or he has no right to do that. And for some of you, maybe you're in the grip of some of this stuff. Let me tell you, there is freedom in the house. Would you stand? Worship team, would you come? Here's what I want to ask of the whole congregation. Um, Some of you today need healing in your body. You need prayer. Some of you today, maybe you have a loved one you're concerned about in these issues. You want to come and get prayer for them. Some of you need prayer. What I'm saying is some of you need prayer. It has nothing to do with you being in bondage. And here's what I want to ask you to do. Would you come and pray with somebody? Because you coming and praying with somebody is going to give cover for people who feel like I can't go forward because everyone might think this or that about me. And even though in this house I know that doesn't happen, still, when you're the one who feels that, you feel like you can't respond. And if all of us who need prayer for whatever reason are getting prayer, it gives a lot of freedom for everybody to come and get prayer for whatever. Yeah? It makes it easier. So if you need prayer, you come and get prayer. Listen, if for any reason you feel in bondage to just sexual dysfunction, things that are apart from God's design, maybe it's something from long ago, there's guilt and shame with, maybe it's current, I don't care. Either way, Jesus' presence is here. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom. Some of you are standing in the gap today, people you love, who are in bondage to stuff. Man, we just want to say, man, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We are cheering you on to carry His presence 
into every relationship, everywhere you go. There is life in him. There is life in him. Lamentations 3, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who put their hope in him. Put your hope in him today. Put your hope in him. He's good. He's good. And Jesus is making all things new. Amen. Let's take time to respond in worship, respond in getting prayer. Let's take some time with him. Amen.
one, someone you love, a friend, a family member, who you is in the grips of some of the stuff we've been talking about. Uh, I just want to pray for you. If you feel comfortable, would you just raise your hand? We're going to pray for you. We're not going to call you forward. We're just going to, where you're at, we're going to pray for you. Just raise your hand. Someone you love, you care deeply about, and uh, they're in the grips of this. Uh, if you're a believer and your hand is not raised, uh, would you just come and just lay a hand on them? Just connection is good, right? We're going to be connected. <clears throat> Look behind you too. Look in front of you, behind you. Let's make sure everybody has somebody. Father, <laughs> thank you, Father. Father, we just speak freedom. We speak freedom in this house. Father, we pray for your truth to shine like the morning sun. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray for every cloud of confusion surrounding people that we love. We pray for it even right now as we pray, God, there'd be moments of clarity, God, coming to people where they can see that your kindness is leading them to repentance. They can see the truth of what you say. Even if they don't fully see or fully understand it, God, we pray the clouds would part and they would begin to reach out to you, God. Father, I pray even now, even now, there's people that would be crying out to you and just saying, I'm miserable. Would you help me, Lord? Would you help me, God? Or I feel like I've got it all together, but I feel you drawing me. Would you help me, Lord? Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name, we agree together right now in Jesus' name, and we speak freedom over these people you have made in your image. We speak freedom over those we love who are made in your image. Your mercies are new every morning. We pray now, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, God, we pray now that they would feel your love and your kindness drawing them to repentance, literally changing the way they think. In Jesus' name. Father, I pray for each person with their hand up. Father, I pray that you would give them moments where they could speak truth and love and they would only say what you're saying. They wouldn't go beyond it. They wouldn't shrink back from it, but they would say exactly, Holy Spirit, what you want to say in those moments. Father, and I just pray, uh, some of them may never have a moment, there's no more room to say, but Father, I just pray right now that you would teach us how to host your presence so well, that as we carry your presence into rooms with the people that we love, God, we'd be in the same room, and what we carry would come over the atmosphere of that room, and they would experience the love of God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father, I pray um, just for us, maybe natural defensiveness we feel or, or anything like that. Father, just clear out our hearts. Clear out our hearts completely. Give us your heart entirely, God. And Father, I pray for each person with their hand up. I pray that you would take the burden that is theirs to carry. They can't make something happen. They can't change somebody, but they can do what you're doing and they can say what you're saying. And so, Father, I pray there'd be a lightness we carry into these situations, God. You are the Savior. We are not. But we point to you and we partner with you. So, Father, I pray for those who've been carrying a heavy burden in this. The yoke hasn't been easy. The burden hasn't been light. They've been carrying things that you haven't put on them. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name for freedom, for freedom. And now the burden they carry would be there, that burden from you, there's an undone thing. But Father, 
there'd be a lightness. There'd be a freedom in partnering with you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I just, I feel like there's, there's a man in this room and you, maybe um, when you were younger, someone did something to you sexually and you have never acted on that. You have not walked in that way, but thoughts have come to you. Questions have come to you. You've questioned yourself. It created questions or curiosity in you that you never acted on. And I feel like um, whoever this is that um, you've even, in recent years, you've been getting clarity. God's been speaking to you on this issue. But I just feel like there's still guilt and shame that there are even thoughts. You never acted on them. You never chose that way. But just there's guilt and shame just from having the thought there. And I just feel like the Father is saying to you, it is not who you are. Satan meant to destroy you with this. And he's come back at you with this. But it is not who you are. It is not what you've chosen. It is not what I see in you. It is not your identity. There's no reason for fear. There's no reason for shame. There's no reason for guilt. I just speak freedom to you in Jesus' name. Just receive his freedom. The enemy wanted something to destroy you, and he's been lying to you periodically throughout your life. He is a liar. He is a liar. He is a liar. And God is exposing him. He's been exposing his lies. But today, uh, just he wants you to know you are free and you are right in his sight. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Father, we pray for another great awakening in this country, God. We pray for lies to be exposed. We're going to fight. <laughs> We're going to fight the right way. We're going to fight. We believe. We're coming to you in worship and prayer and saying, Father, come. Let your glory cover the earth like the waters cover the sea and expose every lie, every wrong way of thinking. And let people be drawn to your goodness, Lord. Help your people not to be hopeless when they see terrible things in the news, Father. We've put our hope in you. We've put our hope in you. We cry out now. We say, we see opportunity. Father, come. Father, come. Reveal your goodness. Reveal your goodness, Lord. Reveal your goodness, Lord. Reveal your goodness, Lord. Set a fire down in my soul that I can contain, that I can control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can contain, that I can control. I want more, yes. <laughs> I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can contain, that I can control. I want more of you. Yes, we want more. There's no place, no place I'd rather be. There's no place I'd rather be. 
There's no place I would rather be than here in your love, here in your love, oh. No place I would rather be. There's no place I would rather be. No place I would rather be than here in your love, here in your love, oh. Set a fire down in my soul that I can contain that again. I want more, yes, Lord. I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can contain, that I can control. I want more of you, God. I want more. No place I would rather be. There's no place I would rather be. There's no place I would rather be than here in your love, here in your love, oh. No place I would rather be. No place I would rather be. No place I would rather be than here in your love. <laughs> thank you thank you father he's good <laughs> he's good you're so good to us lord so good to us lord would you pray with me our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Would you encourage somebody today? Encourage someone you don't know. Encourage someone you know. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Love you. <laughs>